0: Today we're going to chronicle Martin Wallace's crimes, if he committed any. Welcome to Tabletop Shop.
1: to the tabletop shop. I am one of your co-hosts, Mr. Nick Clark, and, seated, as always, halfway across the world from me, is your other co-host,
0: Mr. Cody Pennington. What's up? Although, here's the deal. You said, as always, I trust you're not always going to be halfway around the world. Nor have you always been halfway across the world from me. Indeed. So that sentence really was just inherently wrong. But you know what?
1: We don't have the time to go back and redo it, so... You'll just have uh-huh. to take
0: the little errors with the big joys.
1: And that's podcast. a good point. Uh, well, it was, uh, mm, huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, m- multiple little errors, but you know what? We'll, we'll work through it, Cody. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the intro was great. I just want to say for anybody listening, like the intros, Cody, I, I usually don't know them going into it. And Cody <laughs> will just say them right before we start recording. And I was almost busting up laughing
0: listening to that one. So. <laughs> that's good.
1: <laughs> Uh, I was a little Cody,
0: disappointed when I didn't hear anything from you, and I thought maybe it was just dumb. But no, no you were was, just, you were, you're holding it together for the show. Yeah, I was suppressing the, the laughter.
1: Uh, okay. I, do, I do have a question for you, though, Cody. Okay, what you guess. As is our, our new tradition. Uh, a very important question, actually. You need to decide which of these games has the better, unique, huge deck. You know, lots of games. Uh, I'll use a game that's not in this comparison as an example. Ark Nova. You know, it's a huge stack of cards. Every card's mm-hmm. different. Sure. Uh, so, you know, it introduces variety in that way. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pitting Wingspan up against Underwater Cities. Which of those two hmm.
0: utilizes the big, huge, unique deck better? Huh. I'm just going to have to go Wingspan. I don't think I have to think too much about that. Because... Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, because Underwater Cities has... They even, like, reuse the same artwork on some cards for cards that have similar functions, similar abilities, but then they just differentiate them differentiate them a little bit, whereas Wingspan truly is, like, every card is unique.
1: Okay, so, so I'll say that. S- speaking about art and aesthetics, Wingspan wins, but what about, like, functional? Functionality,
0: hmm.
1: That's a tough comparison to make. I, I think I would have to go with... It is tough. If it was Underwater Cities versus arc Nova, I think I would definitely take Underwater Cities because what I like about Underwater Cities is I like how it 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 works with the board so well and you can always use the cards you get. You can always mm-hmm. use them. Um and if they happen to align with an action you want to take, that's even better or they can help you decide what action on the board you want to take. Um I think it works really well as opposed to a game like, I don't know, Terraforming Mars where you can just draw really terrible cards, you know? Yeah. Um, Wingspan is similar in a way. It's like, okay, here's the cards I have. Here's the ones I drew. And you can, again, formulate your strategy around it instead of just saying, oh, I drew terrible cards. I'm screwed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like also that Wingspan has a kind of a, a market, I guess, if you will, out, like there's a few face-up that you can pick from which Underwater yeah. Cities doesn't do. So that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I think you make some, some good points there. I mean, not to show my hand too much, but I, I, Underwater Cities is farther up on my list than Wingspan. I enjoy it more. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think they just have their own respective strengths. Like Wingspan has a lot of different data conveyed in an easy-to-read way on every card, it's like you have their cost, you have the habitats they can play in, you have their their wingspan, which is relevant for some scoring effects, you have the their egg count, the type of nest they have, and then on top of all that you have their special ability. Whereas underwater yeah. cities is just color and then the thing that it does. But it's, it's, each of the cards are serving, you know, different functions in the game that they're in. It's weird because
1: in a way, like there's a lot more information on the wingspan cards. Uh mm. There's a lot more that you need to look at and take into consideration. But actually, the Underwater Cities cards feel busier. Like, the Wingspan cards are still cleaner, easier mm-hmm. to digest the information, I feel like. Than... And Underwater Cities isn't bad. But it's just, like, the art is a little overwhelming, and there's so many bright colors on all the cards and everything. Whereas Wingspan is calming, it's a white background, mm-hmm. there's a bird, and then there's a bunch of
0: information on the fringes. You know, it's a, it's a cleaner look. It's a bit more minimalist, whereas Underwater yeah, city sure. is a little more engaging, perhaps. All right. Well,
1: speaking of engaging, Cody, why don't you, if there's anything to talk about, any new games you've played this week?
0: Yeah. So not technically a new game, but I've played a new expansion. I have finally gotten to play with the Ares Expedition expansions, right. or at least two, two of the three. Uh, the, th- the one I have not played or acquired is Crisis. Which is the one that sort of turns it into a large cooperative module, which I just wasn't as interested in. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't play Terraforming Mars or Ares Expedition to have a cooperative experience. I want to do my own thing. You know, <laughs> that's 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 like what the game is basically. Yeah. So I got Foundations and Discovery, and I I, I was a little underwhelmed. You know, tw- like twenty dollars ish, maybe eighteen dollars, depending on where you get the expansions from. I didn't really feel like they contributed that much to the gameplay experience. Well, you we talked about it a little bit, maybe off... Uh,
1: yeah, maybe it wasn't on the podcast, but you mentioned that one of them added in
0: upgraded, upgrading your basic mm-hmm. like phase cards, which is pretty cool. Yes. Which, yeah, that's probably the most engaging aspect that they introduced to it. What's even cool about that is it's not just like Arc Nova where you... There's one upgraded card for each of the five phases. In this one, there's actually two options for each. Mm-hmm. So, um, like everybody gets a set of these ten additional cards. And let's say you wanna, you get the chance to upgrade your your phase one card. Um, you can choose a phase one card that has this sort of bonus or a different sort of bonus. And you can actually, if you can get a good upgrading system going throughout the game, you can swap out one of your already upgraded cards for like a different one of the same phase so if you need to kind of change tactics throughout so that that was pretty interesting it, it adds more um more things you can do over the course of the game more uh more flexibility is probably the better way to phrase it
1: i think that's i, th- I think upgradable actions are almost always a good idea like mm-hmm. if you can include that into your game that's just i feel like that's always another layer of complexity. That's just always allowable, really, unless the game's supposed to be really simple. But any game that is even moderately, moderate or complex, uh, I think that's a really
0: good thing to include if you can. I think so, too. As you get into those more complex games, I think having components of the game that can add different layers, uh, that they can fold into each other and then in turn produce new branches of area, you know, like every game can be a little different. I, I think that... Like you said, really is important to have upgradable things in that manner. But enough about the upgradable actions. Really, what I wanted to tell you about is one of the other modules it sort of adds is a a wild tag. You know, all the cards have like a, a flora or not floor, like floor. a plant tag or a science tag or <laughs> yeah, a Mars tag or something like that. It adds this module of cards where when you acquire it, you, it, it's just a little question mark and you can choose a little token to represent what you want the tag to be. That sounds cool. Here's the deal. It only adds three cards with that question mark in a three? deck of probably over 200 cards.
1: What? So ah. Kirsten and
0: I played a game... Only one of us saw a single card over the course of the whole game. It's like, how is that an expansion it's just yeah. it's It's a couple cards you threw in there the it's thing such, is, i mean it's such a cool idea, like I want it to be to be more in the game
1: um i mean you and you don't go through do you even go through half the deck in a game? Probably not
0: uh it depends how many people you're playing with. If you have a larger right, game, okay. then you, you're definitely burning through more cards. Jeez, my man, you think they put at least, like, 9 or 10 in there. I know! Why would you do 3? <laughs> anyway, that's that That really frustrated me, because it's like, what was the point of even, like, buying this? The, yeah. th- that expansion came with other stuff, so it wasn't just that, but it was, that's it was probably good. the biggest disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Alright. That's me. How about you? Played anything new?
1: Yeah, I got a couple new ones in. Uh, the first is a, an... I, I thought it was an older game than it is. I thought this was, like... You know, a, a mid-oughts game. You know, like oh six, oh seven. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a Canizia, I guess modern. I would say classic, but I guess more of a modern classic. That's the Quest for El Dorado. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, it's A the thing is, so there's a new, like a brand, almost brand new-ish version of this that came out with like Vincent Duteurtre artwork that's looks way better. This this one kind of looks like it's from two thousand seven, oh, two thousand eight. Yeah, it's a little I can rough.
0: what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, uh, but it's, it's all right. I mean, it's, it's a, so it's a deck builder and it's a race game. So you have all these map tokens kind of like, uh, kind of like Gloomhaven-ish. They're double-sided. Um, there's some preset ones that come in the rulebook, obviously. And then there's obviously you could do mix and match, do whatever you want. Um, but essentially there's three different terrain types. And so you have cards in your hand that are those three terrain types. So you can use them to move your people, you know, through the board. Uh, strategically hmm. but you also can't f- it's a deck builder so you can buy uh cards to let you move faster through different terrain types but then there's a bunch of different like special cards that let you do you know things that let you like draw more cards on your turn or let you trash cards or let you move through a free space or you know they do stuff like that um so yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the gist of it. And what I like about it, actually, is that it's obvious I've only played a two-player. Um, and in a two-player game, you each have two people. Whereas in a three- or four-player game, you would each only control one person. And what I didn't think about beforehand was that getting being able to control two people totally opens up new strategic doors because you don't always have to move the same character. And so it actually mitigates the luck in a way because you always have two people. So like if one guy's stuck in a water area, and you have to get a water card, and you don't draw any water cards in your next hand, it's like you can't really use a lot of what you have, you know? But with two characters, it's like you kind of can always use whatever you have. And so I actually, I liked that a lot about it. Um, So it's superior at a two-player game then? I I think, I mean, I haven't played it with three or four, but I feel like I would be disappointed playing it. I would feel more kind of boxed into whatever I drew, kind of stuck with what I drew. Um, Okay. So... But yeah, I mean, it's not a super innovative game necessarily, but it's a fun combo and both games came down neck and neck. And Anna and I kind of pursued very different strategies both the times we played because there's also like these kind of on the fringes of the board, not really the most direct route, but there's these like caves that you can explore. They give you special tokens with bonuses And Anna much more took the strategy of collecting as many of those as she possibly could. Whereas I took more of the straight line approach, you know, like, like the shortest possible route. And, but it always came down neck and neck to like one turn who would, who would win. So yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, I don't think it's something I would actually buy in the future, but I did enjoy it. Uh, if you want Anna's opinion on the game, I can quote her, her review. Uh, I would not recommend, I would not recommend putting this on the box. Okay. Uh, Anna, Anna says, I thought it was a bad game until I played Reef. And then I was like, you know, it's not really that bad. <laughs> so the other game we played was Reef. So let's talk about that. Oh no. Um, Tell me about Reef. The thing is I was actually more excited for Reef than I was for El Dorado. Uh, Reef is an Emerson Matsuchi design, which who I'm not too familiar with. I've heard his name come up in Dice Tower vids and stuff, but yeah, not too familiar with them. Um, but also, like, Reef came up, I would just watch, like, the Dice Towers, like, whatever it was, Top 10 Nature Games or something. And Reef showed mm-hmm. up a couple times. And I was like, you know, pretty intrigued. Uh, and so we got it, and uh, it's not, a, it's not a terrible game. Like, it's not like it's a bad design or something. The design is fine. Basically, you have a board, and you have all these, like, there's four different colors of, like, plastic pieces. And you're building your coral reef or whatever, and so you, On your turn, the cards are all double-use, which I like, so you can either play you play a card, and it lets you take like, I think it's always two pieces, either of the same color or different colors. And then you add those to your board any way you want. And then the bottom half of the card you played has a pattern that you get to score. So when you look from your... And your your pieces are stackable. So so I think it's a 4 by 4 grid. So you can place them out on that grid, but you can also stack them on top of each other. And so when you score, you score from a bird's eye view. And so... Hmm. What might have been, if you put a green spot there, but then, uh, like a green tile there, but then on this turn you put a red piece on top of it, now that thing is red. And so from the that's top fun. down you score different patterns based on the card you play. And so I like that dual layer, like, okay, which of these cards do I really want to try and score a lot of points on, and which ones do I just need to play to get the coral pieces, and I'm not going to score any points with it, but that's okay. That's the best part of the, part of the game, is making those decisions. The problem is, there's nothing else to the game. There's no other variety. It has the same problem that Azul has, where there's some randomness in the cards that come out. Um, it's the same type of thing where it's like a deck and there's three out there. You take one, it gets replenished, whatever. Um, yeah. But there's no other variety in the game. It's just the cards, the order that the cards come out. So it's like Azul. It's the order that the tokens come out, but then everything else about the game is going to be exactly the same. Just what you take, how you play, but there's no other variety introduced. So we played twice, like once right after the other. It's pretty short. And honestly, I was like, okay, it's an okay design. You know, not too innovative again, but kind of interesting. But I have no desire to ever play it again because I feel like I've already gotten... <laughs> no, seriously, I feel like I've already gotten everything the game has to offer out of playing it twice. And that is not what you want to come away from a game experiencing, I think. So I think it, it sorely lacked, I don't know, rotating special powers or personal quests cards personal scoring like it, it lacked some more flair it's a very bare bones game so it's not a bad design but it is yeah it's a it's a bare bones design for sure so
0: yeah <laughs> put that on the box cover it's not a bad design it's not a i don't i don't. I don't remember what you said dang it <laughs> Great, it's code. a bare I'm bones design. That. Yeah.
1: Yep. Well, you know, I won't put Ana's quest for Eldorado review on the reef box. That's
0: for sure. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> all right, and that's that. Uh,
0: well, those sound like two stunning games that I'm so excited to give a try and eight. Stunning in different ways, I must say. Yeah. Well, maybe that's enough talk about uninteresting game. It sounds like it was kind of a misfire for all of us. Then for I mean, new things we encountered. I, I was glad I
1: played Quest for Eldorado. I think I could see myself owning it in the future if I had kids to play it with. Reef, it would probably have to be given to me if, if I was ever going to own that game. <laughs> and then I probably wouldn't keep it. So, <laughs> so
0: for your upcoming yeah. birthday, I should not buy it for you.
1: You know, I wouldn't, would, not,
0: would not prefer it. All right. Yeah. Dang it. I'll have to scratch it off the list then.
1: All right. Well, should we hasten on to our Game of the Week, Cody, which I'm also so excited to talk about. (laughs) Let's
0: do it, man. Game of the Week.
1: Okay, so our Game of the Week has been mentioned a little bit. I think it was mentioned on the podcast back when I played it. No, I I think I hadn't even... Since we've started this podcast, I don't think I've played our Game of the Week. I think hmm. I've played it. All of my plays of it
0: were before. We've talked about it a little bit, I think, haven't we? I'm pretty sure we have. I can remember you describing it in a previous episode, I think. Okay. Loyal fans of the show, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Loyal fans of the show. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so our Game of the Week is Chronicles of Crime.
1: Uh, this is a kind of... I suppose, I suppose this is, I feel like I've already used the word innovative too much. I got to think of something else. Original. Hmm. Kind of a a novel. What an innovative word, Nate. It's a novel word. It's kind of a novel design in a way. It's a crime solving case, of course. Obviously, I feel like that probably didn't (laughs) need to go that specific. Uh, Wait a second. It's, it's integrated with an app and it very much so integrated with an app, whereas everything in the game has a QR code. And so you can, as you're going through a case, you can scan locations. You can scan, uh, different suspects and different characters that come up. And you have your four, like, different helpers. You have, like, your, um, the scientist and the IT guy and whatever. And so you can also scan them when you want to talk to them about things. And so it's a, it's an app dependent kind of crime solving game that comes with a few different cases and has a ton of expansions, by the way. It's been, I would say rather successful because I know that there is a, a fair few expansions for this. Sure. But I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the sum of it. Like there's, there's some cool things. Like sometimes you can use your phone to search a scene with kind of like the 360 thing where you move your phone around and you can, it, it changes your perspective of the room. You search for clues and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. As far as, as far as how the game actually functions, is there anything else really, I mean, that's really kind of the, the skinny, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I would just add the the unique component of... It's not just that you're scanning everything, but you can scan things in relation to each other. So if you want to call yeah. up your IT guy and ask him about a thing, you scan him, and then you scan just like literally anything. You could ask him about a person, you could yeah. ask him about a, like a murder weapon you found, and then get information on that, which is pretty dope. But ma- maybe think... I'm spoiling some of my opinions of the game. Well, I think... I mean, we can talk about what
1: we like here, because I think the... I think the app is really smooth. Um, I think the whole app experience, uh, as far as like how the app actually functions and the usability, and I, I was impressed by it. Uh, I I think the looking around rooms is cool. I think the all of the people that you interact with are like you said. You know, when you scan a person, you can scan an object. I think that's really cool. Like it's you can literally ask anybody about anything. And it gives you a lot of freedom, kind of. And mm-hmm. they always, sometimes they'll just be like, I don't know anything about that. Why are you asking me about yeah. <laughs> the hairbrush? I don't know. I'm an IT guy. But, you know, if you make the right connections, they can a lot of times give you a lot of useful information. So, in general, I thought the app for what it was, I was, I think it's a good, yeah. Like I said, it's a paradigmical, there has to be some form of the word paradigm that can be used that way. It's it's a paradigmical uh-huh. Paradigm. <laughs>
0: How about It's a Paradigm? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, let's restart again. Fresh start. Third take.
1: <laughs> so- Oone, no need to restart.
0: <laughs> it says Paradigmatic. Paradigmatic. Para- okay, paradigmatic? That's cool. that's cool. Anyway, yeah, that.
1: So I think the app part is really solid. What's something you like? Is there anything you like about the game? <sighs>
0: um... I mean, that's what defines the enjoyable experience for me, The basically everything that comes with the app component. So yeah, being able to use your phone, like some 3D glasses, and then you can turn your head to look around the room, like that's pretty cool. I like the immersion within that. And just the whole idea of being able to ask people about anything. I know that's still on the app component, but it's not just the app, like they had to spend the time figuring out how one person would respond at any given point in the game to everything like that. That's a complicated tree that you have to work out. And that's probably why you you don't really see that like in many other places because it takes a lot of time to really, to really get that figured out.
1: It's funny, isn't it? That like when developing a board game, actually app development is a more like useful skill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It kind of is. Or just technology in general. I mean, you you can use that in lots of ways. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that that's the main thing that interested me. Um, I know maybe we have some some differing opinions on this section. I'll I'll let you get to that. But I I did enjoy the the stories it offered. There there's some some odd twists in some of the mysteries they threw in there. That was a little just like what. But beyond that, I I like that there was a sort of a campaign of multiple mysteries that you could solve and sort of like slowly uncover the like what's going on overall like what's going in the background and then since it is an expansion based game there's always maybe not always but consistently (laughs) what am I saying (laughs)
1: maybe not always but consistently well here's the thing about here's the thing about crime games is they're like the easiest games in the world to make expansions for Yeah, I mean, from a certain perspective, like you have to like put in a lot of effort to come up with new cases, but it's an obvious, like the expansions are obvious. It's like, all right, more cases, you know, and we can keep feeding people more cases as long as they want them. You know, it's not like a board game where it's like, all right, maybe we can put a couple expansions into this, but then we're really like, we're getting too much. We're involving too much in the Mm -hmm. game. It's like, no, more cases,
0: more cases, more cases. Because at that point, it's just sto- storytelling. You just write a new story, yeah. integrate it in with the app experience, and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I enjoy about it is the there's not really a max player count. I mean, maybe practically, it's going to be harder to have 10 people around the same table all trying to to look at everything. But at the same time, you can, you can play this by yourself. You just do a one-player game. Um, or you can go up to, I, I don't know what would be. A reasonable number maybe up to six if uh, you guys are all able to kind of work with each other if your table's big enough
1: i feel like six is a bit much i think i wouldn't play with more than four and honestly i think two is probably where it's best at because also if you think about like searching a room you know it's like oh uh, yeah okay one person can search it and then pull the clues out but really like everybody kind of wants to you know it's like well what do you do like everybody takes their turn looking at the room you know all six people like, that really slows the game down, and it's not sure. really fun for the other five people while one person's looking at the room. So, yeah, I wouldn't play above four,
0: I think. Sure. But you could at least have maybe spectators or people just to suggest ideas. It's—even it's, it's even though there's only, like, four uh, characters, sort of, that you play with in the game that you kind of divide between people, it's— um it's it's not really exclusionary to like where other people can at least engage to some extent. But besides all that, I like that it's easy to break out with new people or people who even haven't really played many traditional board games. Like it it doesn't really matter. It's it's just mystery solving. So as long as someone knows how to run the app experience, at that point it's just you're engaging inside a story. You know?
1: Yeah. No. I mean, it's a very like there's not a lot of complex mechanisms or like anything like that. It's just like it's straightforward crime solving, and you just like. Literally, like press start on the app, and like it's 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 very app dependent, and so you don't have to be really well first in the game. And it also actually, in general, I think crime games do a good job as far as uh, cooperative games go. It's hard to have a oh, what do you call it when somebody's dominating uh, a dominant oh alpha alpha gamer. alpha gamer yeah it's hard to have an alpha gamer uh, in a in a crime game because everyone's kind of on equal footing. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not like, again, like pandemic where it's like, once you figure out how to do well in pandemic, you can just coordinate everyone's movements and do it every single time you play. It's like, well, no, it's a, it's a, it's a crime. You're figuring it out. So, you know, in in, intrinsically within the crime game is that you can't really have an alpha gamer unless they've already played before, in which case that's just sad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. But plus you can, you can just pass the phone around. Like, let's say someone wants to investigate a few things. Okay, you do that. And it's not really even turn-based. Now you just hand the phone to the next person. They can use that to start scanning QR codes and asking questions and exploring. Yeah. And whenever they're done, it just goes on to the next person. Well,
1: it's it's not all bunnies and rainbows for me, Cody. Because hmm. in general, I was actually not very pleased with this game. Now, I, I, I really? do want to say this is all personal opinion, of course. And the game is, is rather popular, which is part of the reason that I actually acquired it in the first place. Uh, so if you like crime games and if you're interested in the app integration, it's pretty cheap to pick up, like, go for it. And of course, if you like it, you're in luck because there's lots of expansions. I had a couple of problems with it. One is that I found the story to be really dark. Uh, at this Mm -hmm. point, I can't even remember with the base game if there were, it came with multiple free stories or if it was just the one, uh, it did come with multiple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple free ones. So we did the main one, which was like a four part series or whatever. And I found it to be, I found it to be a little too uncomfortably dark. And it wasn't too bad, but it was just like, the gist of it was kind of, and I I won't spoil anything, but it was kind of like, I thought it was a family game and it it was a little bit, definitely like, I would not (laughs) play this with with children. Yeah. Uh, not quite. But like, if I had known that going into it, I feel like it would have been a different experience. If I had known that I'm getting into something kind of dark, it's like, all right. And of course you can play different scenarios that probably are not as dark also. So that's, more of a minor thing i guess and a taste thing for sure hmm. but also i felt like i was approaching this as playing a board game i was approaching it as being a board game and i actually did not i did not prefer the app integration all that much i
0: really? thought it would
1: be interesting it, you know it kind of intrigued me and i felt like it really pulled me out of the experience i felt like i spent most of the game just scanning qr codes and reading text and, well, I mean, that is what you do for the majority of the game. And for me, it just pulled me out. It was like, I just couldn't, it just didn't grip me. It was like, I'm just always, like, uh, moving the card back and forth a little bit. All right, there, I got the QR code. What is this? Oh, nothing. Okay, fine. Well, let's um let's scan that card. You know, it's just like, it, I felt like the whole game was just like, all right, well, what card should we scan next? You know? And hmm. I don't know. It just didn't grip me. It just took me out. So... I think app integration can be good. I think just the way that this one does it is too dependent that I don't feel like I'm... I don't know. I feel like I'm just playing on my phone. And it's like, no, I want to sit down and play a game, you know? And yeah, gotcha. So that's, again, that's just another personal preference thing. I think I just don't really enjoy the app integration too much. And other
0: people might love it. And you know what? Good for them. So. Do we played Journeys in Middle-Earth together, right? Like at least one mission? Yeah, we did. Well, what did you think of that app integration? So that was a little, I mean, that was a lot.
1: Well, okay. So that actually would probably be very much like Imperial Assault, um, because Mm -hmm. it's actually more or less, it's, they're similar systems. Uh, and if you play Imperial Assault uh, cooperatively, then it's the same thing where like the app automates the empire's movement and. Yeah, exactly that game's a little different i I don't mind it uh but it feel it was a lot of upkeep like you're always clicking on things and you're always i don't know so i don't really like automated enemies so much even in gloomhaven it's kind of rough but i think that i think it's not as bad in journeys to middle earth journeys to middle earth or imperial assault uh because there's still a very there's a Large, tangible component to the game. So you still have a deck of cards. You're still playing mm. things. You're still rolling dice. You're still moving characters on the board. You know, Chronicles of Crime is like, you always have your phone in your hand scanning things, you know? Sure.
0: So it's a, yeah, yeah. it's a very different experience. Okay. Yeah. I, I respect that. And I, I agree. They, they are pretty different. I'm not personally bothered as much by that for Chronicles of Crime. Like it's to me, it's still a group activity, which is fun, but it, yeah. Yeah, a little bit separate from maybe a traditional board game. Experience, I think maybe one of the main negatives for me. Have you played the app Doodle God? <laughs> uh, no, Cody. I feel okay. like I uh, have no shame in admitting that I have not played the game Doodle <laughs> okay. God. Okay, it's a it, it is surprisingly fun to an extent. People who have played it know what I'm talking about. That Nate, for how it functions is you start off with. I don't even remember what you start with. It's like two elements. You have a or just one basic element, I don't know. And you could like tap two different elements and if they combine or work together, they will produce like a new element and you're slowly producing more elements and you're creating all these different combinations of the more elements you produce. Now you can try different combos of adding like this element with one of the new elements I just made and see if that produces a different element. It it's more interesting than that because what you're producing is so. you're you're starting with like fire and stone, but then maybe oh, okay. you can produce like a, I don't know, smoke as a concept, um, and then like warmth and then like soil, and then maybe eventually you get like plants. And so it's like you're this trying to like like, create the world in a way. It sounds like arc survival, Cody. Uh arc survival is much superior. Let me okay. just say that. All right, good. Uh the the negative where it comes in is I found after a while, if you get stuck in Chronicles of Crime, it starts feeling like Doodle God, where it's not so much mystery solving as it is like, oh, man, I I don't know where to go from here. I feel like we've talked to everybody. Okay, I'm just going to we're going to start scanning each suspect and then try scanning them in connection with every other item there is. And you just go down the list like. 1 plus 3, 2 plus 3, 3 plus 3, 3 plus 4, 3 plus and 5, like Cody, over and over again. It's just like this grid.
1: You know what the worst part about that is? Like, That's I agree. Right. like I understand that sentiment, and it's annoying. The worst part is that the game is timed in a way. So a lot of times every scan exactly. that you take is counted against you
0: time-wise. Exactly. Yeah, that that's the stress of it, is if you get to a certain point where it's like, I don't know what to do, I don't want to waste time, but I kind of just have to start figuring out what what have I not asked yet that I didn't realize I didn't ask. Yeah. And I, I wish there was some sort of help system or clue system that could maybe assist you if you kind of start getting stuck that way. And Nate, I'm not a particularly intelligent mystery solver, so I agree. I, i i admit that when i have played these games most of the time we lost <laughs> uh, we did also so oh we did okay but you know i just, i want to feel better about myself i want to solve the mystery i want to get the bad guy
1: and yet you like sherlock
0: holmes consulting detective which i find even more difficult i do like that game <laughs> that is a fun game that's that's a, a story for a different story you know what i'm saying well do you have any other stories about this story that's my whole story about this story you got any stories I, in general, like, if you're hard up for a
1: like a crime-solving game, if you like crime-solving games, check it out, I guess. If you're kind of neutral on it, I'd say steer clear. I, I don't know if it's really... I mean, it, it's pretty cheap to pick up. So, like, if you are intrigued or interested by it, go for it. Otherwise, I don't know if it's worth the risk. It's just... I don't know. It just it wasn't
0: that great of an experience, I thought. Put that on the box. <laughs> too long i think <laughs> well maybe we should get into something we're a little more interested in which is our designer spotlight segment we haven't done this for a bit it's
1: been a spell hasn't it uh, i don't know exactly how many episodes but beesh, probably i don't know six
0: or seven couple Who was the last uh, no it was jamie uh, stegmar we did last right no 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 it was Bruno Catala. oh Catala? okay yeah. that, that shows what i remember yeah. well who we doing today yo uh we got a Heavy batter? Big batter. Good batter.
1: Uh heavy hitter. That's the one. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> We've
0: got a big batter. <laughs> uh if we ever interview Martin Wallace, I did not say that. Uh oh yeah, that's who it is. Martin Sir, Wallace. Sir, would you describe yourself as a heavy batter? <laughs> a big boy. <laughs> okay.
1: I definitely didn't say that if we ever interview him. Uh yeah, yeah so right. we're we're talking about Martin Wallace. Uh yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of, kind of one of the greats he's been designing for like 30 plus years, I think, and yeah. has lots of hits and yeah. I mean, let's get into it. I guess I, I let's talk about some of his games, man.
0: Yeah. Um, do it. I mean, this is your responsibility. You, you this, cover his games. Yes.
1: Uh, well, you know what comes with a uh, great power, Cody? Great so, games. <laughs> well, ask Martin Wallace about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will give a few of his notable games, as I always do. Um, this man has made a metric ton of games. So, mm. uh, even again, I think I, I think I said this with Bruno Catal also. It was like on his BGG page, it was like there was an abridged list of notable games. And <laughs> unfortunately, Martin Wallace's wasn't abridged. And so his notable games, it's like 30 games. And those are just the notable ones. Uh, mm. so I picked out a few that are the more, common ones that people might be familiar with. Uh, Brass Birmingham and Brass Lancashire, of course. Brass Birmingham being currently the number one spot on the BGG Top 100. Uh, Age of Steam is another big one. Uh, Wildlands is one that I'm particularly interested in trying at some point. Uh, Discworld, Australia with a Z, and A Study in Emerald, uh, which was one of the few t- uh, kickstarters he's done. Actually, A Study in Emerald was. Uh... Very good. Yeah. So, his he's he's made a ton of games, and he has a certain style. Um, in general, he makes a relatively he he I think he trends towards the more complex end of the scale. Uh, he tends to make fairly larger, more complex games with a lot of different kind of moving pieces in them, and uh, that of the of the few games I've played of him, that's definitely been true. Uh, Anno 1800 being a great example, I think. Uh, we both have our stories with that game. Uh, but he also has some certain themes that he tends to trend towards also. Uh, a lot of his games are kind of industrial area, industrial era, or kind of like train steam themed games. Uh, but Mm -hmm. he also does a lot of civ themed stuff. And those two, even those two themes kind of go hand in hand and can kind of be integrated. So. He has a lot of those kinds of games also. Uh, His first game he ever designed was back in 1993. Uh, I won't get too much into his like kind of where he worked stuff like that, because I'm sure you'll touch on some of that. But he was already working for a board game company at that point, Games Workshop, uh, and designed his own game, Lords of Creation. Uh, I went and looked at it on BGG and yeah, it's, I mean, it looks like a game from 1993. What do you expect? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he started his own yeah. company. I don't know if Lords of Creation was from this company or if it started right afterwards. It might have been uh, called War Frog, Tree Frog, something like that. Uh, and this is where he produced a lot of his, his most notable games, A Few Acres of Snow, London, Age of Steam, games like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he started his own company, produced a bunch of games. That was also where he... Produced the game Discworld, which was based on a Terry Pratchett IP, and then I guess like when Pratchett passed away, who was an author, uh, uh an author, um, when he passed away, they lost the rights to that game, so they no longer got money off of the sales, I guess, from that game. Somehow, I mean, yeah. I didn't delve into the contracts. So not that interested, but, uh, so yeah, then they, I guess, he kind of took a different direction after that, and he recently started up another company, a separate. A production company called Wallace Games, or sorry, Wallace Designs, hmm. and uh, this the, they have only made one game. It came out this year, and that was one actually I mentioned a while ago. And I don't know, maybe it was on the episode that we were talking about Brass, and I brought it up. But yeah, so this year they on GameFound funded Bloodstones, which hmm. is a asymmetrical war game. It seems cool. I looked into it. Looks like a cool game. Looks really fun. I feel like he hasn't done a ton of war games, so I would kind of be interested in a, a Martin Wallace war game. Unfortunately, it explicitly mentioned that this game will probably never go to retail, so if you got it on GameFound, you got it, and if you didn't, you never will. <laughs> so Aww, that's sad. That's that for that, I guess. Uh, and then I, I was trying to... I spent... A fair bit of time delving in, trying to figure out what maybe are some upcoming games, but on the Wallace Designs website, there's no information. Uh, there were a couple games listed on BGG that are both 2023 releases, but they, they both have like a picture, no information whatsoever. And then like a forum post from four years ago, like here's some updated character designs. So I, mean, I don't on. know. I don't know what the story is with those two games, but they both say they're being released this year. I find that unlikely, but yeah do what you will
0: with that information. <laughs> sure. So yeah well, yeah, go ahead. One of the, one of the specific ones that I'm moderately excited about that we, I believe talked about in our turn of the century, you no, turn of the year episode we were talking about upcoming games. I think yeah. I mentioned this. I at least explored it when I was looking up games for that episode. Daimyo, Battle for Japan. It does not even have a release date on here. So who knows when it's actually going to be out. But it does have more pictures than, than the ones that you described. And get this. It's a one to six player board game is what BGG says. That combines yeah. worker placement, area control, and player versus player combat. So worker placement and area control. That's intriguing to me. And I like Japanese stuff. And I have liked some of the games that Martin Wallace has produced so I've like some of I, the games cody <laughs> list the games that you have liked okay i i enjoyed <laughs> i i fairly enjoyed anno 1800 oh okay. but not really enough. you fairly enjoyed it i also fairly enjoyed mythotopia remember that one? Oh man yeah
1: okay that's right well, actually when i was going through his games i saw mythotopia dude i had it had been completely. I mean, when we when we got Mythotopia, <laughs> when we played it, the name Martin Wallace meant nothing to us, at least to me. I know, I know. And then when I saw it on his list of games, I was like, "Oh, really? Okay." And then I was I like, was "Man, like- I kind of
0: want to go back and play that game, but I don't even know if you still have it." No, I, I don't have it anymore. I yeah, I wasn't super impressed with it, but that was kind of early into to the to, to my gaming experience. So who knows? Maybe I'll enjoy it more now. I do remember that it was like a sort of a deck builder where the cards you used. Each of the cards you could use for a different effect listed on the card, which is cool. And I I just like that concept. Anytime that there's a component in a game that has two different uses and you have to decide which one you want to use it for. Yeah, you would love grief. I don't believe you. (laughs) Like I said, it's the best part of that game. So, you know, which isn't
1: saying much, but.
0: Well, anyway, this isn't the Reef podcast, Nate. Uh, come on, we can't use that joke every single episode, Cody. I I, I like it. It's we a good running do that, gag. Or like, Side trail, joke. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the saddle again. Oh dear. Yeah, trust me. Okay, Martin Wallace, Nate. Did you know he was born in England? I did. He's he's English. He's an English person who makes combo German style American style games, oh, yeah. and he lives in Australia. So, there you go. I bet you didn't know that. I did. He lived in New Zealand okay. for a while, and then he moved to Australia. He did, in his words, a brief stint, yeah. in New Zealand. So I kind of want to know, like, what happened there. Was like Peter <laughs> Jackson, like, too mean, or maybe something? he like eloped and went to New Zealand, and then it didn't work out, so he moved to Australia. <laughs> That'd be kind of sad. A little bit. Well, Australia, it is. That's that's where he is now. He has a Wikipedia page about him. So here's the deal: if you if you're a game designer and you have a wikipedia page about you you're probably doing pretty well because it's hard to have a wiki on you if you're anything <laughs> is, in the board game is that industry. your is that the metric for success <laughs> kind of yeah if you have a wiki and you do something related to board games you're doing well you're doing okay. well for yourself yeah for martin wallace nate theme comes before mechanics which makes sense just, just when I when I read that like line from him, I it immediately made me think of Brass because if you're going to put theme first and then make mechanics come from that, just consider the fact that in Brass there's a different way and multiple rules for how you spend different resources, right? Mm-hmm. Like coal, like you have to be connected to coal in order to spend coal. It's it's weird. I, I was trying to think of other games where there's rules. And how you spend different resources. Usually that's not the case. It's just you have the resources and you spend them when you need them. But no, it's like, okay, if I need to use coal, I have to be connected to a source of coal, whether it's mine or my own, and then I have to use the closest source depending on a certain number of factors. But if it's iron, no. You can use iron from anywhere. But then, until there's no more iron on the, like the board itself from tiles, then you can start u- or buying iron from the market and then beer has its own parameters so i i like that because he he has a reason for why he does that and the rulebook even explains like this is because coal like is connected to supply lines but like iron is prevalent and goes everywhere so you don't mm-hmm. have to worry about being connected to it and i i respect that he's that dedicated to to making the little things work like that perhaps i don't know maybe that could be a detriment for some games where if you don't really understand that or it's more just a nuisance it's like what no, well, why, why? Why do I? Why do I have to do this
1: in it, order to use it? It definitely makes a game more complicated, right? It's not just like mm-hmm. you get resources, you spend them, but it's like you get resources, and here's the rules for how you're allowed to spend them, and they all have yeah. different
0: rules. Like that's that that complicates a game a lot more. You mm-hmm. have to remember a lot more rules. Sure, but w- when those rules work together well in conjunction with everything else in the game, which is in the case of Brass, then it makes a very interesting, like, not hierarchy. I don't know realm of things that you have to do realm of decisions uh, and that, that that's another thing he likes to do he likes having simple choices that you have to make that have complex consequences just mm-hmm. like life you know what I mean it's the butterfly effect <laughs> and I think I think any good complicated game incorporates that that component where Ooh, you, somebody needs to make a game oh. called the butterfly effect you know what I have to do every time you, you say something like that I have to go to board game geek like I am right now <laughs> And see if something exists. Oh, Nate, would you like a Butterfly Effect 2016 or Butterfly Effect 2020 or Evolution New World Butterfly Effect 2023?
1: Well, you know how I feel about the Evolution game, so. Uh, so I should or shouldn't click on it? No, man. Like, I played Evolution. It's terrible.
0: Uh, I guess the 2016 oh, okay. one? All right, 2016. Um, zero ratings, zero comments. <laughs> so I think it's not much competition there I think
1: it's open season for the butterfly effect title
0: (laughs) wait wait butterfly effect 2020 it has a rating of 1.5 yeah definitely open season (laughs) only one rating given to it though Uh, I bet that's definitely not the designer publisher nerd games not to be confused with game nerds this is is a great (laughs) sidetrack I'm really glad we're doing (laughs) this This it's good content this is the Martin Wallace podcast yeah he'd be proud yeah, I know. Anyway. Uh that's Martin Wallace. You you kind of you actually touched on a lot of things I was going to talk about for in games he likes having historical and economic concepts. It's kind of a he he likes having stories and pre-established frameworks to operate within. So, you know, if it's something based in history, the thing already happened. You don't have to create the world now at that point. You just make stuff that makes sense within that context, which is kind of a genius move. Unless, however, you're a gamer that likes things that don't already exist, then the games aren't going to be particularly interesting to you. Well, I mean, he designed fan- the game Fantasy Wildlands, World.
1: which has a pretty magical,
0: fantastical theme. So. Sure. But I think, like, the vast majority of his games are, yeah. like, not fantastical in any sense. But, well, hey, we're not going to restrict him to that.
1: He can do what he wants. What I've learned from playing Martin Wallace Designs, which I've only played a few, but I think... I'm uh, as far as like the kind of games I like. I would not just go out on a limb and buy one of his games, but I would want to play it first. Mm-hmm. You know, like had a bad experience with Ano Eighteen Hundred. Had a very <laughs> forgettable experience with Mythotopia. I like Brass, but it's like it's still a risk because it's such a an, an acquired taste. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people who probably don't like Brass and would never touch it. And so,
0: I feel like in general, I would want to try his games before. I buy them, you know. Probably not a bad approach. Since he has a very specific realm he operates within, I think you probably need to make sure you're going to enjoy the game. <laughs> yeah, before dropping some dough on it. Here, here's... <laughs> dough on it? Who are you, Cody? <laughs> I'm a pizza chef, bro. All right. My, one of the main takeaways that maybe I'll conclude with for my segment on this is Martin Wallace's perhaps view slash advice on designing in the game industry i don't know if you saw much of this while you were researching him i guess that wasn't really your, your your realm of responsibility it was a little bit discouraging if you have any aspirations for wanting to design games in life okay but he he breaks down some numbers hey dude i still want to make games i'm not going to let this get me down it's probably not going to be my primary uh career you know you know you know how it is i know how it he is. says that yeah if uh if you produce a game that only has a single printing you might make about five thousand dollars total from that game and he said if you break down like how many hours you spend into designing the game and all the work and the you know, working with publishers and whatnot it actually comes out to like less than minimum wage <laughs> they make just for designing games and even within that five thousand Usually, you may maybe you'll get in advance if if it's a good publishing company. Of he said about like three thousand dollars, and then a few years later, then you'll start getting royalties for copies that are sold, and any further royalties if if the game gets reprinted. <laughs> so it's like wow, it's if if even if you make a good game, but if you're working with a publisher like that, you'll get a little bit up front, and then that's maybe about it. But the thing is, it's a case of doing what you love, right? Like. Sure. For anybody oh, yeah. who's interested in
1: designing a board game, probably it's because they like playing games. Like I don't think there's very many people out there that have a hankering for designing board games that don't like board games. Like, oh, I don't think sure. there's I don't think there's a very large group of people that fit into that. So, if you are doing it, which you've dabbled quite a bit, I have dabbled a little bit and looking forward to doing more in the future, it's mm-hmm. you're doing it because you feel a pulling towards it because you feel a desire to do it. And so You enjoy the process for the most part, maybe until you get into more of the crunching numbers, financial aspect, (laughs) you know, trying to like get bang for your buck as far as what components to put in. That may be part, that part isn't so much fun probably, but the actual designing aspect and maybe even the playtesting aspect is kind of, there's probably a lot of enjoyment in that, I would say, for somebody who's
0: designing games. And so it's not necessarily about making the big bucks for everybody. Oh, I agree. I think it's definitely a passion thing, but in 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 the world as it is, it's probably not going to be something that can likely fund the entirety of your life purely just off of that. Right. Unless you get like a good evergreen or a couple evergreens. I mean, unless you're Jamie Stegmeier and almost every game you produce like makes the top one hundred. <laughs> well, <laughs> the geek. And I think it's a. I think it's a, a thing of just
1: make good quality games. But keep making them, you know, don't just put one game out and hope that it's going to do well. And like no, the most, the yeah. thing is that people who are interested in designing games probably have a lot of different ideas that come to them at different points for different games. And if you just jot them down and come back to them, and if you keep following that passion and you keep putting out game after game, I mean, hey, maybe the royalties stack up if you're even moderately successful with, with a yeah. few of them, right? So
0: if they can keep, yeah, getting reprinted, you know, people keep buying them
1: at the very least, it can fund having a moderately successful even with one printing can at least fund your next (laughs) project so
0: (laughs) i finally made enough money to make a different game yeah yeah so anyway that that was the the moderate reality check i got from from martin wallace i i knew the the games industry is tough i didn't realize it was that tough you like coming from him as like one of perhaps one of the top designers in or at least the most well-known, one of the most well-known designers in the realm.
1: But, I mean, if you think land. about it, like I was saying, like his list of notable games, there's like 30-some-odd games just on the notable ones, you know? And if he's still mm. selling copies from all those, getting royalties from all those, like, that's what I was saying. Like, if you're making good games and you just keep making them, like, you're your kind of success is waiting around the corner, I guess, you know?
0: yeah i mean i'm curious how many of those games actually are still in print though you know that's like, true can you buy them or do you have to find if they're still available in which case you know he's not getting royalty payments every time you buy a used copy of lords of creation somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> how do you know <laughs> maybe
1: success isn't right around the corner maybe martin wallace is waiting for his two dollars <laughs> <laughs> martin wallace always knows and on that potential bombshell
0: Yeah, anything else we should talk about?
1: I think ending after
0: Martin Wallace always knows is a good place to end. All right. And remember, Martin Wallace has made a lot of games. Hey, folks, I forgot to have Nate record an outro with me, so it's just me here alone, by myself. Maybe like, comment, and subscribe, and Nate will feel obliged to stick around and help me next time. Just remember, Martin Wallace always knows.